people. Good morning. Let's continue our worship by taking your Bible and turning to the 21st chapter of John's Gospel. We are finishing up there. Happy Labor Day weekend to you. I know we have a number of our people traveling and I uh, hope that you, if you're leaving here today, going somewhere, that you will be safe. Uh, as Pastor Kobe mentioned, next Sunday night, we begin in earnest our life groups on Sunday night. And so tonight, as a matter of fact, our group here at church will not be meeting. I just want to go ahead and, and let you know that, that we will be not be meeting tonight because of Labor Day weekend. Next Sunday morning will be our Compassion Sunday. You can see the board out there. Just to give you just a little background, we sponsor a number of children through the church, through our missions budget. And what we want to do is transition from the mission budget to your budget so that you individually will sponsor a child, $38 a month, and that they can receive medical care. I went with a group of pastors a couple years ago with compassion to Kenya and Uganda. And we heard testimonies and we saw the centers where these children come and they're taught the Bible and they're given their health examinations. And one boy shared his testimony that when he was adopted by Compassion, when he got sponsored by Compassion, he said it was one of the greatest days of his life. He said, where we live, there's so much standing water. And he said, I got my malaria medicine. And he said, I went back to the tent or the, the shack where we live. And I said, mosquitoes, do your thing. <laughs> You'll never know. It's so sad. Both of our, or two of our grandchildren had malaria in Malawi when they were there as missionaries, uh, John David and Claire, and hundreds of thousands of children die because they can't get the medicine. But your compassion sponsorship enables them, and you'll hear much more about that next week. So that's coming next week. But this morning, uh, we're going to focus our message and our time together around the Lord's table. Because as we talk about the call to follow Christ, it involves dying. And so this morning, as we come to the table, we do so in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And let me just share with you, I know we have a number of college students here, maybe other guests um, at our church. If you're a believer, we invite you to come to the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't even have to be a Southern Baptist, but you have to know Jesus, okay? This is a, an ordinance of the church that uh, Christ gives us so that we can partake of his body as believers, and we do so in remembrance of him. As a matter of fact, everything we do at Alberta Baptist, we want it to be centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we want it to be done according to the scriptures. I have a... a a good book, the, the Deliberate Church by Mark Dever. And he says in the church, we want to read the Bible. We want to preach the Bible. We want to pray the Bible. We want to sing the Bible. And we want to see the Bible. The ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are dramatic presentations of the gospel. So this morning, don't miss the message of the gospel. At Alberta Baptist Church, we come to the Lord's table as a church once a month, the first Sunday of every month. So this morning, don't miss the dramatic presentation of the gospel. These ordinances, Dever says, are moving pictures that represent the spiritual realities of the gospel written and directed by Jesus himself. I love that. 
So this morning, it's a special time. Uh, as we come to John chapter 21, we've, we started a series several weeks ago, The Seven Signs of John. And we focus on the seven different miracles that John records for us in, in his gospel. When we finished The Seven Signs, Pastor Colby led us into a two-week study on the life of Thomas and Peter, and we entitled it Doubters and Deniers. And then I picked up last week, still focusing on the life of Peter in John chapter 21 and looking at followers. What does it mean to follow Christ? So this last week, we looked at the call to follow. Look in verse 22. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you, you follow me. Okay. Now that's a call that I pray that each of you have heard in your life at some point, sometime. But I want to review just real quickly, what does it mean to follow Christ? The call to follow does several things. First of all, his call reveals our weaknesses. Peter blew it. Remember that night in the courtyard when he denied Christ three times? It began in the garden when he reacted in anger and took his sword and cut off a servant's ear. He tried to follow Christ in his own power. Church, we cannot do that. His call reveals our weaknesses. His call reshapes our life's work. Peter had been a fisherman all of his life. Now he was going to be a minister. He was going to tend the lambs. He was going to feed the sheep. His life calling was different as a result of following Christ. And for us, we can't separate the call to follow Jesus and our life's work. Our call to follow Jesus should greatly impact our life's work. It may not change what we're doing, you may be a bus driver, maybe a teacher, maybe a doctor, a lawyer. Your call to follow Jesus may not change what you are doing, but it dramatically changes how you do it and why you do it. How do we do it? And why do we, we do it for the glory of God and we do it in love and we do it with a higher purpose, a higher calling. So his call reshapes our life's work. His call radically impacts our walk, how we face every day. Our walk is our lifestyle. We follow Christ. Peter says we walk in faith. He says we walk in his steps. So that's kind of a review from last week, the call to follow Christ. And this morning, we want to look at the cost to follow Christ. You follow me. It's what Jesus said to Peter. And it reminds us that we must individually make a commitment to follow Christ. Individually. He calls us individually and he knows each of us personally. Listen to this. We will not all follow the same path, but we will follow the same Lord. We need to remember that this morning. We don't all follow the same path, but we will follow the same Lord. What does that path look like? Look at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, John gives us commentary. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Let's pray. Father, 
as we come to your word this morning, God, seeking your truth, seeking your, Lord, your message, seeking your presence, seeking your face. God, we come with hearts willing to follow. Father, we may have questions as to exactly what that looks like, how that impacts our life, but God, may each of us here this morning say, in our heart of hearts, we want to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as only you can, through your word, through your spirit. Father, enlighten us, Lord, for our good and for your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus tells Peter in verses 18 and 19 that you're gonna die. You're gonna die. As a matter of fact, this morning, many, you need to know, many will follow Christ in death. When Jesus said that you're gonna stretch out your hands, he was talking about the kind of death. And John tells us that clearly in verse 19. He says that he was speaking, now signifying what kind of death that Peter would glorify God. Like his own death, Jesus tells Peter that you're gonna die but you're gonna die for the glory of God. That's what Jesus said in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, that there would be glory in death for Peter. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you will be crucified and God will be glorified. (laughs) That's kind of, Kobe always talks about the upside down gospel, upside down kingdom. That doesn't make sense to us, does it? That Peter would be crucified and God would be glorified. But that's the nature of God's call on our lives. That's the nature of the kingdom. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. The Bible doesn't tell us. But Eusebius and Origen, early historians, both historians record that Peter lived to be an old man. As an old man, he was arrested by Nero, the, uh, Nero, the emperor of Rome, and he was sentenced to die by crucifixion. One day, a prison guard came and took Peter by the arm and led him to a place he did not want to go. And the history says he led him to the outskirts of Rome to a place where he was to be crucified. According to the historians, again, there was a huge crowd gathered that day. And when the time came for Peter to be crucified, he protested. Not that he didn't want to be or would allow himself to be crucified, but he determined he would not be crucified the same way his Lord was crucified. I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus died. Peter insisted on being crucified upside down with his head to the ground and his feet nailed to the cross upward. That was Peter's fate. And historians say that on that day, many people trusted Christ. Peter glorified God in his death as a faithful martyr. The word martyr means witness. Peter was a faithful witness even to his death. We can only imagine Peter was old, he was weak, but the split second he died, he opened his eyes and he saw the face of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can imagine Jesus greeting Peter there again, not on the seashore, but in heaven, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. You followed me. You followed me. Peter glorified God. As a matter of fact, I, anyone who dies for their faith in Jesus is a glory to God. And many, many will be called to follow that path, to give their life for Christ. I have a book in my library, Fox's Voices of the Martyrs. 
When KJ was 10 years old, our oldest son, we read together The Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot, the story of Jim Elliot, who was called as a missionary to the Aka Indians in the Amazon jungle. He and four other men, they were pilots and they were flying by the riverbank and they would drop trinkets with little gospel tracts to the Indians there. And they did this for weeks and they finally built up a relationship with these Aka Indians. Then one day they landed the plane and they met the Indians there on the riverbank to begin to share with them the gospel, the life-giving gospel of Christ. And the Indians killed all five of them on the riverbank. They gave their life on the mission field. The Alka Indians later would hear that same gospel from different missionaries, trust Jesus, and become so committed to Christ that the Alka Indians there in that village began to send missionaries downriver to other Alka Indians. You can read about the life of Jim Elliot, a man who gave his life for the sake of the gospel. What about today? We receive information and you can go to the website of the Voice of the Martyrs, a ministry to persecuted Christians today around the world. And you can read about men and women. I went the other day just to read about Maruf, who was raised in a Muslim home. He became a Christian as an adult. His family tried repeatedly to persuade him to return to Islam And Muslim relatives even held Maruf and his wife and two little girls captive for eight days. He was fired from two different jobs. And while they were held captive, they threatened to kill him. He held two different jobs. He was fired from two different jobs because of his Christian faith. And the reason this story stuck out to me is that the voice of the martyrs provided Maruf with a rickshaw so that he could make a living as a taxi driver carrier carrying people. And so his first day of work, he went and he made some money pulling the rickshaw, hauling people. And he took half that money and gave it to the church. This man got it. He got it. Death or the threat of death has been and will always be the cost of following Christ for many believers. We need to pray for the persecuted around the church. We need to realize, church, this is going on today. Right now, as we sit here, there are people, believers around the world who are dying for their faith. How can a believer live like that? How can a believer die like that? Paul said it best in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. That is the gospel. To die is gain. That's the promise of eternal life, that this world is really, it is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world, as we know, it's passing away. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Many will follow Christ in death. And when Peter died, let me tell you, it was not a tragedy. Peter's death was not a tragedy. Jesus said it, and it was true. He would glorify God in his death. It was not a tragedy. Many of you probably have read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. This story happened several years ago, but it gets me every time I read it. Piper tells the story of Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards. They were killed in a car accident in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was 80 years old. She was a single woman, had been single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known 
among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor. She herself was pushing 80 and had served at Ruby's side in Cameroon for years. That day, the brakes failed on their car. They went over a cliff and they were killed instantly on the mission field. In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper said, I asked my church, was that a tragedy? Was that a tragedy? He answered, no. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. Consider the story in Reader's Digest of a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast and they moved to Florida. He was 59 and she was 51. They moved to Punta, Punta Gorda, Florida, where today they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. Sadly, that is a tragedy. But that's the American dream for a lot of us, isn't it? to retire comfortably. Peter didn't do this. Peter didn't waste his life. His death was not a tragedy, nor did Ruby and Laura. They faithfully lived and died for Jesus. In church, there is no higher calling. Like Peter, the cost for many who follow Christ will be their life. Some will follow that path. We don't all follow the same path, but we all follow the same Lord. We must all, as we follow Christ, follow him in humility. Look at verse 20. Peter turning around as he was literally following Jesus. They got up from the breakfast there that Jesus had served. He's walking away following Jesus. He turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? John wants to make sure he's, they know, we're talking about me, John, the writer of this gospel. Said, he turned around, he said, so Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Not to miss two great truths there, but do you see the sovereignty of God in what Jesus said? John's, day, John's days are in my hand just like your days are in my hand. If I want him to remain, he'll remain. If I want him to stay till I come back, he'll stay. The sovereignty of God there. But until I come, again, there's the promise here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back. So Peter asks about John. What's going to happen to him? Would he be a martyr too? How does Jesus say, well, you, don't worry about John. You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about him. You focus on following me. My call is to you as an individual. My call to you is to you very personal. And that's the same call that Jesus has for us today. What do we learn? We focus on Christ, not on others. We focus on Christ, not on others. I, I think two things happen when we begin to really focus on other people. We begin to compare ourselves to other people. When that happens, two things happen. One, we can look at people who are, boy, they got it all together. We focus on them. We admire them. We become jealous of them, if not worse than admiration. And, and we, we become depressed. I could never be like that. We become defeated. I could never be like that. 
So when we look up at those, we can become depressed. Or sometimes we compare ourselves to, and it's easy to do this, more fun to do this, to compare people, ourselves to people who don't have it together. I'm not as bad as them. They're struggling. I, don't ever, I would never struggle with that. And we become what? Arrogant. Arrogant. So as we, fo- as we follow Christ, we need to focus on Christ. If we look up at the Christians who got it together, we can become depressed. If we look down at those who are struggling, we become arrogant. So let's don't do that. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what Jesus is telling Peter here. We follow Christ in humility. We focus on Christ, not on others. We must all follow Christ in this life. Look at verse 23. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, that what is that to you? If I want him to live until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. The last recorded words of Jesus are, you follow me. Peter would follow Jesus and so would John. And as John explains here, the rumor got started that John would never die because Christ had said that. John explains what he meant. He did not say John would live till his return, but even if he did, it's no concerns of Peter. Jesus promised to return. Jesus promised that he's coming back. And here's the deal. We all follow him until he comes. We follow him in our life. I remember 459 months, one week and two days ago, Teresa and I were married. And our wedding vows were a little unique. We didn't vow till death do us part. We vowed until he comes until he comes. So if I go first, okay, y'all remember, Teresa, you promised to love me until he comes, okay? All right? But, you know, that should be the theme of a Christian's life, until he comes, until he comes, until he comes. In the meantime, we follow Christ. We follow Christ until he comes. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the rest of this day. But until he comes, We're going to follow Christ in this life. What does it mean to follow Christ? Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to follow Christ in this life? We deny ourselves, we take up our cross daily and follow him. And let me tell you, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means to take up your cross. Some people think when they have a difficulty in life, Oh, I guess that's just my cross to bear. They have a sickness. They have a financial problem. Oh, as a believer, that's my cross to bear. Now, let me tell you, that is not your cross. How you go through that trial is a great indication of your faith. If you can trust the Lord in the midst of physical problems and in the midst of financial problems, that's the test of your faith. But that financial problem, that physical problem, that is not your cross. Some people think, well, the cross is something that God imposes on us. And we get this and we bear it grudgingly. I'm going to bear this cross for the glory of God grudgingly. No. The Bible says we choose to take up the cross. 
We willingly say, I will follow Jesus. I will deny myself and I will take up my cross and follow him. What is the cross? It is and always has been a symbol of death. A symbol of death. To follow Jesus, we take up our cross. We choose to bear the cross. We say, yes, Lord, I delight to do your will. I am saying I want to say yes to Jesus and no to me. I will die to myself. I say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus. That's the conscious decision that every believer must make. I will take up my cross. We live for him by dying to ourselves. How do we take up our cross? What does that mean? Let let me give you three ways. First of all, we learn to die to ourselves through the scriptures. Through the scriptures. The truth of God's word tells us that we must die to ourselves. That's not a concept we would have come up on our own. Hey, I think I'll die to myself. No. The very natural thing for all of us to do is to live for ourselves. And that's what the world tells you. But the scripture says differently. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. The scripture tells us that we must die to ourselves. Not only Luke 9, 23, but one of the first verses I memorized back as a freshman at the university, Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does the Bible say about me? What does the Bible say about you as a Christian? We have been what? Crucified with Christ. So we, to be crucified means we are what? Talk to me. Dead. You know, death was a number one killer in the United States last year. Death. Death. We don't like to talk about death. But spiritual death means I willingly say, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live for Christ. But here's the gift. Here's the deal. The great thing. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but, but Christ lives in me. And every time I preach this, I get you to say that with me. Say that with me. Christ lives in me. Now that is something to be excited about but I willingly of my own volition choose to die to myself and live to Christ because the Bible teaches me. That's what the scriptures say, that we are crucified with Christ. We die to ourselves by continually reminding ourselves what the scripture says about us. We preach truth to ourselves. I am crucified with Christ. That's what the scripture says. We die to ourselves through the scripture. We die to ourselves through suffering. Suffering. Now the suffering we see going on in the world today for the sake of Christ reminds us that we belong to Christ. That we're the body of Christ. When we read and hear about believers who are suffering over in foreign parts of the world, we are suffering with them. We're a part of the body of Christ. We're all in this together. But again, let me define this suffering. We live in a fallen world because of sin and there's suffering everywhere. But what I'm talking about is suffering for the sake of the gospel. We know a little bit about that. Some of us have suffered for the sake of the gospel by suffering rejection. You may have had family members who've rejected you. 
Some of us have suffered for the sake of the gospel by ridicule. You've had people make fun of you. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You shall have tribulation. There will be some degree of suffering for those who follow Christ. And I want you to know this as an encouragement. Jesus takes all of our suffering very personally. When Saul had been persecuting the church and he was on the road to Damascus to bring women and children and men, drag them out of their home, take them to prison, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. And do you remember what Jesus said to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Is that what he said? No. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want you to know that Jesus takes all of our suffering very personally, very personally. So Paul could say in Philippians 3.10, Pastor Colby read a while ago, Paul says, what I want to do with my life, here it is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We learn to die to ourselves through suffering. We can count it a privilege to suffer at any level for the sake of Christ. So what, how do we respond? We should pray for those around the world who are suffering right now. And we can realize that we only suffer when we're willing to die to ourselves and live for Christ. And the world doesn't want to hear that. We die by reminding ourselves of the truth of the scripture. We die by suffering for the sake of the gospel. And thirdly, we, we die through service. By serving Christ, as we serve others. As I said, we're blessed to live in a country where we can worship Christ freely and for the most part, we're not persecuted. We may not have to die for our faith or even to suffer physically for our faith, but we can serve because of our faith. We put our faith into action by dying to our own comforts, our dying to our own pleasures, and by willingly serving the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Your service is an act of sacrifice to God. It's what Paul says in Romans 12, 1, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our service is a part of our living sacrifice to the Lord. Our, when we put our faith into action, we do that by serving Christ and serving others. Paul told Titus that we are to be zealous for good deeds. Now, let me ask you, does that describe, you know what zeal is? Zealous, zeal? Zeal is desire on steroids. We know what desire is. You know, I'm desire to do this, desire to do, but zeal is desire on steroids. Zealous for good deeds. Why? Because we've died to ourselves and we want to live for Christ. Through serving Christ, his church, and others, we're demonstrating the truth that we've died to ourselves and Christ lives in us and we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. So we must follow Christ. We must all follow Christ in life. Then lastly, we follow Christ in the light of his word. Look at verse 24. John says, this is the disciple who is testifying, and that's a key word, witnessing, witness to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books 
that would be written. John said, Jesus did a lot. Now, I've written about these things, these seven miracles. Look over at 20, verse 30, chapter 20, verse 30, on the other page. Verse 30, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John says, I've written this gospel and I've focused on these things, these seven major miracles. But I want you to know, Jesus did a lot more than that. So many things that the world couldn't even contain, all the writings, all the books, and boy, we got a good, there's so many things that have been written about Christ, about his life, about the gospel. So John was somewhat prophetic here. But these signs, these things are the things that Jesus did as recorded by John in his gospel. Let me just close by saying this. The gospel begins with Jesus. John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. His gospel begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Jesus, according to John, is the incomparable source of life and truth, and truth. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. L listen to Peter's testimony in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Peter says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I love that. Church, that's the gospel. The light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, the morning star who rises in our hearts. We follow Christ in the light of who he is, in the light of his word. What does his word say? His word says that we're all accountable to God. Every one of us one day will stand before God. His word tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. His word says the glory of God's the standard, not your neighbor. We don't look at our neighbor and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. It's the glory of God that's our standard. And we've all sinned and fallen short of that glory. Christ died for our shortcomings, for our sin, so that we can be forgiven. So that according to the scriptures, we can stand before God in righteousness putting on that robe of righteousness, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ who died for us. Paul says that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Christ died for our sins so we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. As we come to the table, the Lord's table reminds us of this death but it also reminds us of his return. Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning, the invitation from God's word is to you. Do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? Can you say without a shadow of a doubt, Christ lives in me? Have you turned from your sin, trusted Christ as Savior and Lord and received Christ? into your life, his spirit changing you from the inside out. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for the call to follow you. God, we even thank you for the cost to follow you that gives our life a meaning, a purpose, which is much higher than anything this world has to offer. Father, we want to follow Jesus. Not just follow those who follow Jesus, not to compare ourselves with others. But Lord, we want to follow Jesus. And we want to thank you for that call in our life today. Father, I pray that as we have shared these verses from your word today, the truth of scripture, that this call has been issued to a heart today that has never said yes to Jesus, who's never willingly said no to themselves and yes to Christ to to follow him, to follow you, taking up our cross. So Lord, I pray that in the next few moments, these would be significant moments in the life of someone here today who's never trusted Christ. Lord, I pray that this would be a time of significance for all of us as we evaluate our walk with Christ. Are we following you? Have we denied ourselves and taken up our cross? Father, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts today for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Father, that as we follow you, that we are never alone. Christ lives in us, not for a moment, not for a moment. Are we ever on our own, that you live in us and empower us to do what you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.